Hey, welcome to Next, everyone. My name is Matt Velasco. If we have never met before, if you are here for the first time, I just want to say that I am so glad that you've decided to spend your Wednesday night with us. And I'm not just saying that. Like, I know being here tonight might be a sacrifice for you, whether you've been coming your whole life, all three, four, two, one years of high school, whatever it might be, or maybe you're here for the very first time and you sacrifice something to be here, whether it be practice, doing homework, studying for a test, playing video games, all of those are some level of sacrifice, and I'm, I'm fully aware of that, so thanks for being here. You'll notice something, they've probably already noticed something that we say around here, we say that tonight is the best night of the week, and we say that not because we think that, like, this is the best place on earth, right? We love it here. But it's not because we're like, this is better than Hawaii. This is better than any other place that's warm and not rainy and gross. Because let's be honest, if you gave me tickets to Hawaii and said, Matt, you can go to Hawaii on next Wednesday, I'd probably go. But I'm just being honest. I, that, it's called honesty. I just want to be honest with you. But we do believe that Wednesday nights here at Next or any other youth ministry that you go to are the best night of the week. Because God has a funny way of showing up on special ways on Wednesday nights, especially here at Next. And so if you are new, welcome. So glad that you are here. Really excited for what God has in store. We're going to wrap up our series that we have been calling um, In With The New, the last message. We're going to be talking tonight about what it means to be successful. What it means to be successful. You know, we think that Jesus gives us a new definition of success. And to kind of to get into it, I want to tell you a little bit of a story about how I grew up. So growing up, my grandma lived on Lake Minnetonka. And so I, I, I grew up kind of like a lake boy, right? Like I, I grew up on the lake. I love the lake. I still love the lake. But the way in which I grew up on the lake is maybe a little bit different than the way you did or your friends did. See, I, I didn't grow up knowing how to ski. I didn't grow up knowing how to wakeboard, knowing how to wake surf. If you're cooler than anyone else, knowing how to wake skate, it's actually a thing. Look it up. I, I didn't grow up with paddle boards. I didn't grow up with a ski boat until recently. And, and even still, we do not even really use it at, at all. Hi, everyone. That was great. That was like severe. Hi. Even until even recently, we never really used it, right? Like we didn't even go tubing. So you might be thinking like, Matt, what in the world did you do on the lake? Well... We went fishing. And, and it's right. And we didn't just go fishing. Like, it wasn't just, like, go to the end of the dock, cast your line on after digging up worms from my grandma's backyard with bobbers on it. Like, we did that, but it wasn't just that. It was wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning with my brothers, my grandpa, and my dad, go to the tall grass in some obscure bay in Lake Minnetonka, and fish for, like, six hours. That's the kind of fishing I grew up doing. And may I be honest with you, I have never enjoyed fishing. I still don't, I know, I still don't enjoy fishing. I have tried really, really hard. And in contrast, my little brother, his name is Jack. He's the outdoorsman of the family. Uh, my parents actually just, and this will make sense here in a second, my parents actually just moved into a new house on a lake, and, and part of this house that they built, they have like this shed that's like attached to the house in the basement, and it's this like cold concrete shed, and we've labeled it Jack's Room, because it's the room where all of the fishing poles and all the outdoorsy stuff is. I don't like fishing, I don't like hunting, I think I would like camping, but I've never gone. And let me tell you, that I know, I'm, I'm a wimp. Get over it. I'm, I'm a wimp. 
But now I'm just, I'll just, I'll just go one step further, and I'll, I'll be comparing myself to something I heard a pastor once say. A pastor once said this. I'm going to be laughed off the stage, but I'm saying it anyways. A pastor once said this. My wife is so nervous right now. My wife, or my, my, a pastor once said this. He said, "You know, I do not like hunting in the outdoors, but I do like hunting for deals at the local mall." And so let me just say. You will find me happily in the Mall of America on Black Friday. Happily, happily. Ask Jay, what do I do when I'm bored? I go to Ikea, I go to Mall of America, or I go to Costco. Those are the three places I go. It's true. Get over it, you losers. Anyways, let me get to the point. Let me get to the point. The point is this. I have tried to like fishing. I woke up at 5 a.m., Right, and the reality is that my brother still tries to get me to like fishing, and I keep trying, and it will not ever happen. It just won't. But the point is this. The reason why I never liked fishing was because I've never been good at it. I will fish for six hours, and I won't catch a thing. I mean, if you give me, like, a worm in, like, the dock and I go to the shadowed part of the dock and I drop it in, like, I'll catch a sunfish right away. But that's boring, right? Like, who, unless you love doing it. Then it's not boring. It's great. But for me, it's boring. I've never liked it because I've never been good at it. it I, I was never successful enough at catching fish. And, and in, in, in comparison, tonight we're going to talk about a story where Jesus goes fishing with some of his, some of his friends, and the story of Jesus going fishing with his friends actually gives us a new definition of what it means to be successful. I'm actually going to give you three things that it takes to actually be successful in life. And you might be thinking, like, Matt, this is going to be better than any, any of those books I might find at Barnes Noble or whatever it might be. And I will tell you that this is true. This is the true, the real way to be successful in life. We're going to call them the three F's to success. Faith, forsake, and follow. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen for you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament. Chapter 5, verse 1, starts with this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. It's talking about Jesus. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We caught no fish, but we have been trying. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they said this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let me pray. Jesus, 
I pray that tonight you would give us this new definition of what it means to be successful. Lord, that tonight for the students that know you, this would push them into deeper love for you. And for those students that do not know you, that tonight they would begin falling deeper in love with you. God, receive our worship through our listening, through our singing, through our discussing in small group, Lord. And I pray that tonight you would teach us something, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. We pray things in your name. Amen. So Peter, who, who was known as Simon or Simon Peter, right? So we read about Simon in this story. Simon and Simon Peter, same person, right? Peter and his partners, James and John, were professional fishermen. And I don't mean professional in the sense that they were sponsored fishing athletes, but professional because it's how they made their living. And they actually would have lived and worked in a, in a small town and a fishing village quite like this one in Ghana. So this is a fishing village in Ghana, and you can imagine that Jesus was walking through, beginning to teach, and he just points at Peter as Peter's getting done for the day. And he says, hey, let me use your boat in the middle of his sermon. So this is what a fishing village would have looked like, one just like the one at Lake Gennesaret. The whole entire economy of these villages are built around fishermen and what they're able to catch each night. And so them going out and having an unsuccessful night of fishing is much more significant than me or you failing to catch a fish off the dock or at 5 a.m. in the morning by the tall weeds. They had spent the night fishing with what were known as drag nets. Dragnets were big, large, 100-foot semicircle nets that you would throw off the back of your boat, let it drag for a little bit, and then pull it back in, filled with fish. Except this time, it didn't happen. They would pull it back in, drawing it in hand over hand, then repeating the procedure again and again. Friends, it was hard work. The group had sweat through the night without as much as a single fish. So when the sun was rising, they went back to shore and beached their boats. They ate breakfast under the rising sun and began to wrap up for the day by cleaning their nets, washing their boats, mending their equipment, and arranging those same nets for drying besides their boats for the next morning. Once they were finally dried, they put them and placed them by the boats for the coming night and then head on home to sleep. But on this particular day, something strange was happening around the boats that they were cleaning. As the three were wrapping up their duties, a crowd began to form around them with a man named Jesus at the center. And he began to teach. And partway through his teaching, as a crowd continued to grow larger, larger, and larger, he looks at Simon Peter and says this in, verses, in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. See, Jesus was preaching. It was a teaching that held authority and power that, grew, that drew in a great crowd, a crowd so great that Jesus had to ask Peter if he could use his boat as a floating stage. And Peter obliged. And after drifting his freshly cleaned boat back out the waters only a few yards, Jesus began to teach once more. His voice would have carried across the waters to all gathered on the beach. And I like to imagine that Simon Peter wasn't paying too much attention. 
right? Like he would have been exhausted after a long night's work. And so he's kind of sitting in this boat, rocking back and forth as this guy that he doesn't know drones on and on and on about the things of God. Maybe dozing in and out of sleep. Sitting under the warm sun while the stranger and soon-to-be savior was preaching next to him. But then something changed. It says in verse 4 and 5, And when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. So this brings us to our first point for the night. We are called to faith. In this moment, Jesus started to change the way that success is defined. Because Jesus' request to Peter was very demanding. He's saying, hey, undo all of the work you just did, and let's go back out and do the very thing you failed at doing last night. Peter's humility probably began to grumble inside of him. It's how I feel like every single time my brother asks me to go fishing. He, it's like he's saying, hey, I know you are bad at this. You know you are bad at this. But come do this with me anyways. But this time Jesus wasn't just asking a fisherman to go fishing. He was asking a man who had been working all night to go back to the shore and load his, bat, his boat with all of the equipment he had just cleaned and go back out into the waters to do the very thing that he had just failed to do the night prior. A since-past biblical scholar and pastor by the name of R.C. Sproul says this. He says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. If there's ever a time when Simon Peter, the rock of the church, exhibits impatience or annoyance at his master, it is here. He says to him, master, we worked hard and caught nothing. It's almost as if Simon Peter is looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, when you speak to us about the things of God, we hang on your every word. But give us a little bit of credit. Maybe we are not great rabbis, but we know about fishing. We've let down those nets a hundred times, and we can't even catch a minnow. But Peter reluctantly acquiesced to the command of Jesus. He says, but at your bidding, I will let down the nets. It is as though Simon Peter is humoring Jesus. I don't know how you respond to Jesus in times like this, but, or, or just to people at times like this, but I can speak for myself. You may know this about me, but I like to golf. Golfing is probably one of my number one habits, or not habits, well habits too, but uh, hobbies in my life. And, and there's a certain type of golfer that I've played golf with many times, and if you are a golfer, you've probably played with someone just like this. I like to call them the instructor. It's someone that whenever you play with them, they tell you how to be a better golfer. They tell you how to switch your swing. They tell you what clubs to use. They tell you what to change about your game. And you're watching them the whole entire time because they stink. And you're like, why are you telling me what to do when you're a worse golfer than me? See, every single time I play with someone like that, I get annoyed and I get frustrated. I think this is how Peter felt about Jesus in this moment. But Jesus turned out to be the best fishing guide Peter will ever encounter. The catch was huge. See, like I said, these, this was a fishing village, and he was a professional, professional fisherman. This was his livelihood. This was his job. It's how he fed himself. 
It's how he probably would have fed his siblings and his family. Peter, as he's pulling in these hundreds of fish, so many fish that the boats are beginning to sink, probably would have thought to himself, I can monetize this. This Jesus dude could make me some money. But the business was never built, and the boat was left behind. Friends, Peter's success was not in the fish he caught, but the fishing guide who he would follow. And it started with Peter simply humoring Jesus. I wonder, when was the last time you humored Jesus? How often do you just humor Jesus? And, and I don't mean this in like an offensive way towards I got, our, our God. I mean that in, in its practical sense. Like, when was the last time you stepped out on a limb and did something not because you thought it would be successful, but because you felt like Jesus was telling you to? Or, or maybe not even felt like Jesus was telling you to, and even more direct than that, but you knew Jesus was telling you to do it. When was the last time you humored Jesus? Peter had no interest in going fishing again because he knew, or at least he thought he knew, that there were no fish to be caught. So I wonder what the equivalent in your life is. Where might Jesus be asking you to drop down your nets, and even though it may not make sense to you, you humor him anyways? I tried hard preparing this message to actually think of an example that you might have as a high schooler. And I decided I'm not even going to attempt to give one. Because if this is you, you know exactly what it is. Like, I need not tell you what it is that Jesus is asking you to humor. You know. But I wonder, what is it? You know what Jesus is asking you to humor him and do. And you know what, there, there might not be anything, and that's okay. But for many, there's probably something. And so if we are called to faith, and if acting in faith means just to humor Jesus, then the second key to being successful is to know that you are called to forsake. So the first F is you are called to faith. The second one is you are called to forsake. For many of us, part of stepping out in faith and humoring Jesus like Peter did requires us to forsake something. I like what it says in verses 6 through 10. It says this, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. That's fancy for saying they caught a lot of fish. And their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. Friends, what I love about this story is Peter's response after he did what Jesus told him to do. Yeah, he caught the catch of a lifetime. And like I said earlier, that would have meant that Peter would have made bank on the fish that now sunk the boat he sat in. And you'd think, and let's be honest, most of us would react some way like this. Thank you, Jesus! I can finally buy that car. I can finally buy that PlayStation. I can finally buy that Xbox. I can finally buy that bag or that purse or that perfume or whatever it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I can finally buy it. 
But instead, he falls at Jesus' feet and asks him to leave. Why? What happened that made Peter fall at Jesus' feet? He began to realize who Jesus was. For the first time, despite the teaching Peter had maybe just slept through, Peter's eyes were opened. And so you might ask, why should you humor Jesus? Why should you take a step of faith? To which I would answer, because you may not know who Jesus is if you don't. And I don't mean that to say you can't know Jesus unless you have some supernatural story like this one in your life. But what I do know is that Jesus has a funny way of showing us who he is when we step out in faith and do something that seems crazy. Whether it's a missions trip, going to a retreat or a camp with us here at Next, going to church on a Sunday by yourself because no one else in your family wants to, or talking to that person in the corner of the hall of your school who is crying, or sitting at the lunch table with the person who always sits alone. In moments like these, Jesus tends to show us who he is, and our response should be much like Peter's, falling at Jesus' feet in awe of who he is. But Matt, what does this have to do with forsaking anything? Well, forsaking something means leaving it behind. It means leaving it behind. It's practical. To forsake something means to leave it behind. And Jesus' response to Peter after he falls at his feet is a little weird. He says, do not be afraid. For now on, you will be catching men. Peter's definition of success his whole life and Peter's definition of success for the rest of his life were both sitting in this boat with him. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus' definition of success his whole life and his definition of success for the rest of his life were both sitting in this boat with him. And he had to choose. In his old life, to catch this many fish was the pinnacle of success. In his new life, following this man named Jesus was the new pinnacle of success. But in order to do it, his lifestyle and his life needed to change. He would no longer catch fish, but he would catch men. And let's just acknowledge, it's kind of weird phrasing. Imagine if Jesus just came up to you while you were fishing on the dock, and he goes, hey, follow me. For now on, you're going to be catching men. Be like, okay, I'm going to go grab my net, and I'm going to go throw it on a stranger, and I'm going to be like, Jesus, am I doing it right? And in a way... Well, no, but in a way, yes, but also no, because wrong net. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. To catch men for Peter and for you means to tell people about Jesus. Simply put, to catch men means to tell people about Jesus. To catch them with the net of the gospel that the world might say is a restraint. So you think a net. When you get wrapped up into a net, you're going to have a hard time walking. See, the world thinks that the gospel is a restraint. They may say it's a set of religious rules, but you know different. You know that the way to be set free is the gospel. And these rules that they are so afraid of actually give the life that they seek. 
Because when we obey God, we see that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. And Jesus is the way to freedom. And he is the way to success. Success, according to Jesus, means to be called to faith, to be called to forsake, and finally to be called to follow. The story ends with this in verse 11. It says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This includes the boats, the fish, the nets, the business, their identity as fishermen, and the way they used to define success. I love how straightforward this is. It doesn't tell us that they let the fish back out into the water so that Peter's friends could catch them later. It doesn't tell us that they went to the market and sold the fish so that they had some money for the road. It just says they beached their boats, left everything behind, and hit the road with Jesus. Jesus wants you to follow him. But friends, following Jesus will cost you. Following Jesus will cost you. When I was in high school, I had aspirations of playing college hockey. And, and to be honest, the opportunities were right in front of me. I was invited to camps. I skated with the Gophers at one point. I was on teams with some of the best players in the state who are in the NHL now. And, and I don't say that to brag and say that I was some hotshot hockey player. But I say that just to say that what I defined as success was right in front of me to grab. Until one day, I went to a place called Silvercliff Ranch in Colorado, the same place we're going to go in July. And I heard the Lord say to me, forsake it, leave it, and follow me. Two weeks later, I quit the hockey team. A couple weeks later, I decided I was going to go to Bethel University and study the Bible. And my faith has been aflame ever since. But it costed me. Even still, when I think about what could have been, I get that little like tinge of like regret in my gut. You know, that feeling of like, ooh, I wonder what could have been if I wouldn't have done that. That feeling's still there. I think of the shape I could have been in today if I kept playing hockey. I think of the experiences I could have had, the places I could have gone, the people I could have met, and honestly, the opportunities I could have had. But you know what? None of that would have compared to what life with Jesus has been like for the past eight years. None of it. No victory, no team, no experience. When I began to follow Jesus, I gave up on what I used to define as success. And all it took was faith. Forsaking what was leaving me or forsaking what was stopping me from following Jesus. And I have no doubt that there is at least one of you in this room who needs to change the way you define success. It's at least one, probably more. You've been chasing after something that you think will give you life. But friend, unless it's following Jesus, there will be no life on the other side. Like, hear that loud and clear. If your definition of success, that could have been bad. 
if your definition of success, or maybe it was bad. We'll leave it behind. I forsake that. If your definition of success does not involve following Jesus, friends, it will not give you life. It will never give you life. It cannot give you life. Sure, there might be a full bank account or a big closet with lots of nice clothes or that big house you've always wanted. But can I let you in on a little bit of a secret? None of it matters. None of it gives life. In fact, I want you guys to hear from one of the most successful men of all time and what he has to say about success. Accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football, and I love being the quarterback for this team. And, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. If you don't know, that is Tom Brady, now the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I can tell you personally, he's a, he's a very good quarterback. He absolutely obliterated my Chicago Bears. I'm just going to acknowledge that. Jake's thinking it. But he now has won the Super Bowl seven times. Seven times, the most out of any other quarterback in the history of the NFL. And at this time, he had only won three. And he had no idea what the answer was. I mean, I hope you hear that and your heart just breaks a little bit. Because you know the answer. See, if you could go win all the Super Bowls in the world, and if you didn't know Jesus, there's always going to be something that you feel like you're missing. And if Tom Brady, one of the richest, most famous men of all time, feels that emptiness, even though he has everything you might define as success, let me tell you, that should tell you something. Because true success is only found in Jesus. I want you to listen to this closely. I promise you, the poorest man in the world who knows Jesus will be happier than the richest man in the world who doesn't know Jesus every day out of the week. Forever. They will be happier every day of the week. Jesus changes the way we view success. He shows us this in this story that success takes three things. It takes faith. It takes forsaking something. And it takes following Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that tonight faith would be welled up within us. God, that we would analyze our life, look at our life, and we would think, Lord, what are you just humoring us to do? Maybe there's someone in the lunchroom that you just keep poking at us to talk to. Maybe there's someone in class that you keep nudging us to pray for. Maybe there's a sibling that you keep asking us to invite to church. Or maybe there's a friend that you keep prompting us to share the gospel with. Or maybe there's a sport 
you keep telling us to abandon or a relationship you keep telling us to leave. Lord, I pray that tonight these students would humor you and just step out in faith. Lord, that they wouldn't just step out in faith and humor you, but they would also forsake whatever it is that's holding them back from following you. And Lord, that when they leave that behind, they would follow you. Lord, your word, the author of Hebrews says that we must drop everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before you endured the cross. Lord, would we fix our eyes on you? God, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, supernaturally equip the Southwest Christian soccer team tomorrow to just destroy their opponent in your name, Lord. In your name, run up that score. God, we love you so much. We praise things in your name. Amen.